You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. In connection with our text this morning, I would like to read with you first a passage from the Old Testament, Numbers 21, beginning at verse 4. They, that is the people of Israel, traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake, put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, he lived. Thus far, reading from Numbers, now we'll turn to the New Testament to John chapter 3, we'll read the verses 1 through 21. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know and we testify what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light 
and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Our text this morning is John chapter 3, verse 16. Really, it's the whole passage that we read. We'll be dealing with the whole passage, chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. But we've already read that. Now we'll reread verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, a question for you. You have to think quickly here. What does John 3 verse 17 say? John 3 16, John 3 17. How about John 3 verse 15? Or John 3 verse 18? Everyone knows, I presume at least, everyone knows what John 3 verse 16 says, but what about the very next verse? Or what about the verse that sits just before that? Or what about the whole section? What's it all about? Of course, there is very good reason why everyone knows John 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. It's It's because this verse summarizes the heart of the gospel. The heart of God. The heart of our salvation. God so loved this world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. This verse has had a place of honor among Christians probably since it was first read. And for a very long time, it was the most well-known and most memorized verse of the Bible. But I'd like us to consider for a little while this morning that John 3 verse 16 was actually not written as John 3 verse 16. That is, John didn't write this verse to sort of grab our attention so much that we forget about what sits around it. He didn't write it to become the popular, well-known verse that it is, even though, of course, it is beautiful. He wrote it in the midst of a larger section and, and really... We need to understand it in that sort of larger context. We need to understand what sits around it. It's very important. What this whole passage is speaking about, John 3, the verses 1 through 21, is talking about a dramatic opposition between what seem like two solitudes, two, two worlds on their own that do not interact with each other. It's talking about the kingdom of God and this world. And it's only with the stark contrast between the light and the darkness that we can truly realize how profound is the love of God giving this world the gift of His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. And so we'll speak about the gift from above. The gift of God, of His one and only Son. We'll see first, we'll consider this stark contrast that exists here in these verses. And then we'll consider the dark world, the one side of that contrast. 
And then thirdly, we'll consider a profound love. And then the sermon will stop there, even though in your liturgy sheet it says there is a point four, the spiritual birth. It's not that I don't want to talk about the spiritual birth. It's that I want to talk about it so much there's no room for it in the sermon. And so we'll come back to this passage next week and consider the glory of God in in giving birth to children. The wonder of being reborn children of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That will come. For now, the gift from above. A stark contrast, a dark world, and a profound love. So first, that contrast. If you allow yourself to look at the other verses besides verse 16, then you notice that almost every single verse in this passage is describing a contrast. A contrast between those born of the flesh and those born of the Spirit. Between the darkness which rejects the light and those who live by the light and the light itself. The separation is in almost every verse. It begins, of course, in this conversation that the Lord Jesus has with Nicodemus. And there's something of a contrast even in, in the, how this conversation begins with Nicodemus, this man from the Pharisees, coming under the cloak of darkness. Why would he come under darkness? It's unsettling. Something's not right here with how he's doing that. And it continues in verse 2 because Nicodemus admits that he knows that Jesus is a teacher who comes from God because, and here's the contrast, unless you come from God, you can't do these things. People who don't come from God cannot do the miraculous signs that Jesus has been doing. And then really it begins in verse 3. As Jesus says, no one can see God unless he's born again. People on this side cannot see God. They need to be born again. They cannot enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water in the Spirit. And then verse 6 really summarizes the problem. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. They, They don't mix. Flesh doesn't give birth to spirit, and spirit doesn't give birth to flesh. Those who are born in and of this dark world are not born into the kingdom of God. They cannot see the kingdom of God. They cannot enter the kingdom of God. They remain outside of and apart from the kingdom of God. And the thought, this contrast, also drives what the Lord Jesus continues to say to Nicodemus when he says, you have not seen and have not accepted the testimony about Jesus. He says, you do not even understand earthly things. You don't understand things over here. How are you supposed to understand heavenly things, the things over here? Of course, Nicodemus doesn't understand this way of speaking. In his mind, as in the minds of many Jews, there was only one birth that was necessary, and that was birth into the covenant people of God. That's the only birth that mattered. Inside this circle was the covenant people of God, and outside was everyone else, the Gentiles, the sinners. Is that what we believe? Nicodemus saw only two parts to this world. 
There were the Jews, the people of God, those who were born into that circle and faithful to it, and at the end of days, they would join the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God was not here yet. It was coming later. But if you were born and you stayed in, you were good until then. And so this teaching about uh, from Jesus about need, needing to be born again, I was born as a Jew. Why would I want to be born again? And about not being able, or about even being able to see and enter the kingdom of God now, the kingdom of God is not here yet, it's coming later. This was all very confusing to Nicodemus. It's possible that we could find this confusing too. Reborn? What's that talking about? I was born into the covenant. Why do I need to be reborn? Lord Jesus says that you cannot enter the kingdom of God, unless you are born again. You must be reborn by faith, and by the working of the Spirit in Jesus Christ. The problem, as this passage continues, past verse 16, gets worse. Those who cannot understand these spiritual things, those who haven't accepted the testimony of Jesus and His disciples, are not merely confused but they're condemned. We read in verse 18, whoever does not believe stands condemned already. The man from heaven, verse 13, and the light from heaven have come into the world, but men rejected the light. They they turn from it and they they don't want the light. They want to embrace their evil deeds. They, They live in this world They're blind to that other world, but they love this world. They they want to cling to this. The darkness and evil and sin, that's what they like. They don't want their deeds to be exposed by the light. And so it's like there are these two solitudes in the world. two, Two separate, distinct entities. Two kingdoms. Those born of the Spirit who who believe in the Son of Man, who see the light, who see the kingdom of God, who enter it and understand it. Jesus Christ is on that side, along with all those who believe in Him and thus are saved from condemnation. On the other side are those born of the flesh who who reject the Son of God, who are blind to the light, who love the darkness, and who cannot see or enter the kingdom of light And so are condemned. Two solitudes. A stark contrast. Two different realities that seem worlds apart. Two different worlds really except for one fact. That is that Jesus is only talking about one world. It's all in one world. So we come to the second point, a dark world. The picture of the world and its condition that Jesus gives leaves us with not an overwhelmingly positive view of it. In fact, this world is an overwhelmingly dark world. Let's just travel again through the statements that Jesus makes about this world Chapter 3, verse 3. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Verse 4. No one can enter the kingdom of God 
unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Verse 12, they're not able to understand heavenly things. Verse 18, whoever does not believe stands condemned. Verse 19, men here love the darkness because their deeds are evil. Verse 21, worse, verse 20 in fact, I think, men hate the light and will not come into light for the fear that their much beloved evil deeds will be exposed by the darkness. They love the darkness and they hate the light. And flesh gives birth to flesh, verse 6. Those that are in this situation give birth to those that are in this situation. And in fact, it's even worse, those that are in this situation and perpetuate this situation by their own deeds and by their love of them give birth to those who perpetuate this situation by their deeds and who love them. That's what's going on here, really. It's a devastating situation for the world and for those in the world. And you'll agree, this is a very negative picture of the world. Maybe it seems like I'm laying it on thick here, but I'm simply quoting parts from this chapter. I've simply quoted six different passages from from six different verses, slightly more than that, I guess, maybe eight or ten, from a mere 21 verses of the Bible. There's actually a lot more of this going on throughout God's Word. Read the book of Psalms. If this doesn't strike you as an accurate representation of the world, in the book of Psalms, the believer is often speaking about struggle, about strife, about hardship, about fighting against this world, about how the powers of this world are coming up against him. How there's darkness and trouble and sorrow. Those who despise God are all around at all times. Or read the book of Jeremiah if you can stomach it. There even God's people shut their ears to God's word. They don't want to hear the truth. They don't like Jeremiah the prophet. They throw him in jail. They don't like what he's saying because he's sent by God. He's bringing light into their situation. It's exposing their dark deeds. And so they persecute his prophet and the people are subsequently destroyed. It's the picture that God's word gives. What about our own experience of this world? Does it agree with this picture? Consider it for yourself could pile on all sorts of stories that would show some of the terrible things that are happening in this world, but I don't think we need to. You're saying that this is an overwhelmingly negative picture of the state of this world, this world that we live in, then you're right. It is. The world's a dark place. Evil is perpetuated in countless ways. Injustice abounds. Immorality is uncontained, promoted, perpetuated. Do we need to get specific? We won't. 
There are little ears listening. But we know that we could speak about some of the injustices and immoralities that strike our lives. The things that this world does are too shameful even to mention. We know what they are. We have been affected, haven't we? This is the world. This is the world. A world in rebellion. A world in darkness. A world fully deserving of the condemnation and eternal punishment for which it is heading at a breakneck speed. But now, brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, now let's go to verse 16. Let's go to verse 16 and gaze upon the heart of God. A profound love. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. What? Does that make any sense? Wait a minute. There must be something wrong here. What world are we talking about here? God so loved the world. We're talking about this world. We're talking about this world. We're talking about the dark world that John is speaking about here. God so loved this world that He gave His one and only Son. Okay, okay. We're talking about this dark world. With all these evils perpetuated, I can't understand, but okay. Well, what kind of love is this? Maybe it's not really a deep kind of love. Maybe it's maybe God has a different kind of love. Because after all, how could God love a world like this? With sin and evil. How deep is this love? Well, it's no less than this. It's so deep that God was willing to strain His eternal, perfectly harmonious, loving relationship with His one and only Son by having Him come into this world and become a man. Same human flesh as us. His love was so deep that He was willing to break that eternal, perfectly harmonious, loving relationship with His one and only Son when He sent Him to the cross. His love was so profound that instead of harmony and love and joy coming from the Father to His one and only Son, He turned on Him and gave Him judgment, gave Him condemnation, turned on Him in anger as His one and only Son hung there alone and rejected on a cross of suffering and humiliation, falsely accused for His crimes, crimes He had never committed. That is the love that God has for this world. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. Why? Verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. In the desert, the Israelites were grumbling against God 
against God's provision for them. They didn't like the way things were going, so they, they rebelled, they grumbled. And so God sent snakes against them as a punishment. And after a snake, an Israelite was bitten by a snake, they would die. But God in His love provided a way out. After they, they repented and, and asked for forgiveness, the repentant Israelites could trust God, could look to that snake, and could be saved. Why did God send Jesus Christ to the cross? Because there was no other way. The world was like those snake-bitten Israelites. It will die. It's destined to die. God is, is holy and just. The sort of rebellion and immorality and perversity, the, the false worship and idolatry and blasphemy and selfishness and hatred and lying and immorality and envy that are carried on by the world must be punished. Because of who God is. Justice requires it. God's justice requires it. And yet, there is the love of God. That's also why Jesus must be lifted up on the cross of suffering, rejection, humiliation, punishment, because of the love of God. Because of the love of God, which is like an overpowering twin to God's justice. They're there right beside each other, but it's the love of God that overpowers. Because of the profound love of God, He sent Jesus Christ to pay the price of sin. The punishment by God and death that all the sins of the world deserve in order to save those from the world who would believe in Him. That's why it was necessary for Jesus to be lifted up. The love and salvation of God was put on display there for everyone to see. We have the testimony about from John concerning it. So that they might believe and be saved. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. Verse 17. He sent His Son into the world to condemn His Son. And through Him, to save the world. And so when Jesus Christ was lifted up, He was lifted up on a cross of suffering and rejection and condemnation, yes. The one and only Son rejected by the Father, but He was also lifted up as a true and certain testimony to the love of God. He was lifted up as a, as a gift from God, as an expression, uh, as the outworking of God's love for this world. Jesus Christ is a gift from above, a gift from here into here. God so loved the world that He gave Him. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you understand this passage, verse 16, with all the verses around it, in all its fullness, then you have not only here the heart of the gospel, the heart of the good news, 
What you have here is the very heart of God. This passage opens up for us the heart of God Himself. People talk about head knowledge and, and heart knowledge. and Sometimes there's a disconnect between the two. Sometimes they don't come together for us. Sometimes it's, it's used as an excuse and it's a false distinction, but yet it's a distinction that's not totally invalid. It can happen, can it, that, that in our minds we think we have all the I's dotted and, and the T's crossed in terms of, of God's work and, and His mind and, and how He's planning all things out so that nothing could possibly come in and, and, and mess up our system and break down this, this fortress of knowledge that we build around ourselves. We build this heady fortress of understanding, understanding about who God is and, and how He works with this world and His providence and His love and salvation and everything. So that no matter what, in every possible scenario, nothing could go wrong. We're safe behind this fortress. But you know what always happens to that fortress, don't you? We, we build it But you know what always happens to it. Something always goes wrong. Why? Because of the way of the world. Because of the sinfulness of the world. Because of the brokenness of the world. Really, when it comes right down to it, there are things that we cannot understand. You hear about what's going on in the world and you think, how could God possibly love the world? Or could He? You hear about something that someone did, something terrible, and you think, how could God possibly ever forgive that person for such a thing as that? Perhaps you even consider yourself. Consider what you have done and what you are like. Do you think, not even even why me, but how me? How me? How is God going to save me? And then no matter what lives in your head, no matter how strong that fortress is, your heart struggles to find answers. It's unsettled. It feels conflicted. And perhaps the stronger the fortress up here, the harder it is when that happens. But when such a thing happens, and you cannot understand the mind of God, Who can understand the mind of God? It's unsearchable. It's unfathomable. Who can understand the mind of God? Don't go head to head with God. Look for God's heart. Go to God and have a heart to heart. Open up your heart and let the love of God that comes from His Pour into yours. How? By considering this. That God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever, whoever, whoever believes in Him would not perish but have eternal life. Amen.
This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.